Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you. I'm excited about this uh, annual opportunity I have to preach on this Sunday. And uh, so we're going to start off with a little family feud question. You know how the game works, right? There's, you have to guess the right answers, and you only have three strikes. After three strikes, we're done, okay? So here's the question. Name the top five things associated with New Year's Eve. Name the top five things associated with New Year's Eve. Here's the list. Okay, what do you think? Football. Football. Is football on the list? No. I would say if it would be New Year's Day, it would be football, but maybe not New Year's Eve. Okay, we've got two strikes left. Come on now. What? Ball drop. Is the ball drop on there? Number three, good job, way to go. All right, what else? Oh, I can't. What is it? New Year's resolutions, did I hear that? New Year's resolutions. Yes, number one answer, good job. Okay, what else? Parties, thank you, Karen. Parties, is that on the list? Yes, number two, parties. All right, we're doing great. All right, what else? I heard Auld Lang Syne. Let's see if that's on there, Auld Lang Syne. Number four. We've got all of them but one. All of them but one. Fireworks. Fireworks. Is that on the list? Oh, no. Okay. It all comes down to this. Right answer, wrong answer. Who's got it? The kisses. What? What is it? Kisses? Midnight kiss? Midnight kiss? Bingo! Number five. Good job, everybody. So one more time. There it is. New Year's resolutions, parties. Times Square ball drop, all Lang Syne and Midnight Kiss. Good job. Woo, that was close, but you got it. Well, one of the things that wasn't on the list is a watch night service. That would probably be on my list because as a kid growing up, I used to attend these watch night services. How many of you even know what a watch night service is? Can I see your hands? Oh, that's a lot of you. How many of you been to a watch night service? Oh, quite a few of you. Well, for those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, a watch night service is a service that lasts up until midnight on New Year's Eve. Typically, there's a time of reflecting back on the last year, confession, taking communion, and praying in the new year. Our Korean community is going to have a watch night service tonight, right? Good job, guys. That's great. Well, we're not asking you to come back at 11 o'clock tonight for a watch night service. But the reason I bring that up is that we are going to have kind of a watch night feel in terms of our response today, okay? We're going to take time to pray. We're going to receive communion. And uh, this is a family service, so the kids are here. So I just want to kind of uh, talk to you about the end of the service right now so you're ready for it. I want to encourage those of you that are here as a family to respond together as a family, okay? So at the end of the service, just kind of circle up as a family 
and respond. If you're not here with your family, you can come to the front uh, at the altar or around the front, or you can respond right where you're at. But it's, I, I think as I prayed about this service, I sense the Lord wanting us to do this, just to bring in the new year on our knees, figuratively and maybe literally, and taking communion and uh, just committing ourselves to the Lord in 2024. Well, one of the things that was on the list, top answer, was New Year's resolutions. So here's my question about New Year's resolutions. Are they a good thing? Should we make New Year's resolutions? How many of you would say, yes, I think we should make New Year's resolutions? Let me see your hands. Okay, that's a lot of you. How many of you would say, no, I don't think we should make New Year's resolutions? I see one hand. There's some hands back there. There's some hands over there. Okay, there's a little bit of a, that was kind of a, yeah, I'm not sure, Holly. But uh, okay, so I really think if you look at Scripture, you could kind of make a case for either one of those. So to make a case for those of you that said yes, part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to be created with the freedom to choose, to act, to make positive changes in our lives, right? So we see lots of people do lots of good things just from sheer willpower, people that don't even acknowledge the God who created them. Now, the theological term for that is provenient grace. So yes, lose that weight, get back to the gym, make those resolutions. Now, for those of you that said no, I think the Bible has some things to say about that. Now, I know logically both answers can't be correct, but let me explain. God's intention for us was to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. We see this in the creation story. The intention from the beginning was for God and Adam and Eve to live in the Garden of Eden and love each other and experience rich community together. But what happened in the garden is happening ever since. They and us thought, do I really need God? I mean, I can do it on my own. And when we have that attitude, God's response is always, okay. Have it your way. He created us with the freedom to choose. He does not force his way on us. But the consequences of that are awful. Our relationship with God is severed. Let me say it this way. If making New Year's resolutions takes you to a mindset that you don't need God, that you can do everything you need to do in sheer willpower, and that's a very dangerous thing in our relationship with God. So in that sense, making New Year's resolutions can be a bad thing if it takes us away from the kind of relationship that God intended for us to have. And we see this all the time, right? Many, many people, the thought of making it a priority to have a trusting personal relationship with Jesus isn't even on their radar screen. 
And we see the consequences of that, right? I don't have to take time in the service to detail that to you. People are a mess. People are broken. People are lonely. They're powerless to change. And here's the thing. A new year is not going to change that. But I have good news. We don't have to live our lives that way. We don't have to ignore God's loving rule in our lives. We don't have to depend on our own willpower. We can live in a trusting, intimate relationship with Jesus where he can accomplish through us in 2024 so much more than we can accomplish apart from him. And the Apostle Paul is a great example of that. So I want to take you to the same book we've been in, Galatians, to chapter 2, verse 20. And we're going to look at one verse of Scripture. So a little context for those of you that maybe are new to all this. The Apostle Paul is one of the most significant leaders in the church. He was a Jew, so he was originally called Saul. Highly trained, successful, fought against Christianity until he had a dramatic conversion and then he went from persecuting the church to being the greatest missionary the church has ever known. And so this letter that he's writing to the church at Galatia is in response to some Jewish people that are telling the church there that they need to follow certain Jewish practices and rituals in order to be a Christian. And Paul says, no, that's not right. You don't have to follow those regulations. It is by grace, through faith alone, that we are made right with God. And it is by faith alone that we're called to live this life of freedom in the Spirit. So, then he gives his testimony in this verse, and that's what I want us to look at. So let's stand together and read it. It's uh, Galatians 2.20. It's only one verse, so let's read it out loud together. And the reason we stand is to honor God's Word, right? All right, let's read it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Eugene Peterson in The Message uh, gives us this paraphrase, which I think is really good. Listen to this. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Amen. Awesome testimony. You can be seated. So what we're going to do is just look at this verse phrase by phrase and ask Jesus to speak to us. So let's just dive in. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That seems kind of strange at first glance, doesn't it? I no longer live. 
What is he talking about? Obviously, he's not talking about suicide, but he is talking about giving up on trying to live based on his own willpower, his, his own efforts to do the right thing. He's saying, I am surrendering my life and my will to Jesus. I'm resigning as the CEO of my life. He says it the same way, the same thing, a different way in the book of Romans. He talks about being a living sacrifice, using the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament, let's see, what's the word? Uh, Old Testament sacrificial system, I guess, is the best way to put it, where animals would be put on the altar for the sins of the people. And Paul is saying, be like that, but be a living sacrifice. Live in utter submission to Jesus. So he says, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, Jesus promised this. The night before he was crucified, he was in the upper room with the 12 and he told them, I am leaving, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will live in you. And in Corinthians, he says, this mystery, Christ in me, is the hope of glory. I like to talk about that, and I've had people throughout the years say to me, so how does that work, this whole Christ in me thing? And I think it's a good question. I think sometimes it's easy for us to say something like, Christ lives in you, but it doesn't mean anything because we don't really understand how to experience it. So let me take a shot at just explaining it very practically. When I repent, when I put my faith in Jesus, He forgives me, He adopts me, and He gives me the Holy Spirit. We believe there's a subsequent work of grace called entire sanctification, where in response to my surrender and consecration, to which Paul is testifying in this verse, God cleanses me from sin and takes full reign in my life. So as I'm in this relationship with him, Jesus speaks to me. How? Through my thoughts. I can think a thought and come to a point where I know or have confidence that it's from Jesus. So I can live in that relationship where there's communication. Now, of course, as I have a thought and I'm trying to discern whether that's from Jesus or not, I can be wrong. But that's why Scripture tells us to test our thoughts, to test the spirits, and ask questions like, is this thought aligned with Scripture? Is this good? Is it right? Based on everything I know about Jesus, would he likely be saying that to me? And if the answer is yes to those questions, then I can be confident that Jesus is speaking to me. Now, for me, it's really important to spend time with Jesus every day in a focused sort of way so I can practice hearing Him and responding back to Him and then live out my days being aware of my thoughts and being connected to Jesus so that he, if He wants to speak to me through the day, I can hear Him 
and respond to him. Or as our last series has been saying, I want to stay in step with the Spirit. So once Jesus speaks to me, then of course I want to obey him. I want to respond. And so I ask him to help me. I know he lives in me, and I know there's power in his indwelling presence in my life, so I ask him to help me and enable me and empower me to do what he's called me to do. And when he does, we celebrate. Yay, thank you, Jesus, you've helped me. Now, does that make sense in a very practical kind of way? So please, don't, don't like have this attitude that says, yeah, Christ lives in me, great and then live as if he doesn't. He does, <laughs> and that's a big deal. Amen. Yes, All right, I'm gonna stop, otherwise I'll get going a little too much there. Christ lives in me. The life I live now, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the key word here is faith. What is faith? Faith is confidence. Faith is believing that God is, that Jesus is who he promised, that he does live in me and will speak to me and will empower me to help me obey him. Such a key element in this relationship, faith. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, that's our motivation. Paul says, Christ's love compels me. Alex has been doing a great job of reminding us that God loves us. And we don't have to just, you know, wonder about it. He demonstrated it. He lived his life in perfect obedience to his heavenly father, which took him to a cross where he suffered unbearable pain until he breathed his last and said, it is finished. <laughs> Friends, that's the greatest love ever. The most tangible expression of sacrificial love. So we don't have to wonder about it. We know it. He showed it. He loves us. And that's what motivates us to surrender our lives to him and live this life of submission to him. Now, I know it's a family Sunday, and I know our kids are here, so I want to give a little object lesson, which hopefully will help you kids understand what I'm talking about. So uh, Tucker and Nolan are going to help me. Come on up. This is an illustration I heard from Stephen Manley, and it's a great illustration. So welcome, Tucker and Nolan. Thank you. So this, in this little illustration, this glove represents our lives. Okay? Nice glove. Stellar defense possible in this glove. Looks like it could catch about anything that comes to it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do, we're gonna see how this glove works, all right? So we're gonna set this glove over here, and then, Nolan, I want you to go over that way, and I want you to throw the ball to the glove, and let's see how the glove does at catching the ball, okay? 
Sorry, glove didn't catch it. Want to try one more time? Oh, sorry. Well, kids, wait, no more. It's all right. The point has been made. So, kids, what's the problem? What needs to happen with this glove? It needs a hand in it. That's right, Ben. It needs a hand in it. So now, we're going to ask Tucker to be the Holy Spirit. Tucker represents the Holy Spirit. I know that's a little bit of a stretch for some of you. Just kidding. Just kidding, Tucker. Okay, so, all right. Here we go. Let's, let's play catch. Tucker, see if you can catch it. Oh, he missed it. All right, let's give him another chance. All right, good job. Give Tucker a hand. All right, thanks, guys. Give him a hand. Kids, do you get the point? Do you understand what we're talking about here? Our lives can't be what they were created to be apart from the presence of God in them. Our lives need God's Spirit in us to help us be what we were created to be. And so, as we move into 2024, I just want to challenge you to pray with Paul. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.